You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. Hey guys, <laughs> it's Bill Dawes. Welcome to the After Laugh. I like my voice right now. I smoked a lot of weed yesterday because yesterday was Ooh, the nice. Oscars. That post weed voice. Yeah, I got the post-weed voice. One of the benefits people rarely talk about. And I want to talk about the Oscars, too, because uh, I'm sure people who are listening to this watch the Oscars. And when you're stoned, Mm -hmm. I feel like the Oscars, it's like the Matrix falls apart. You just see the vertical rows of numbers like (laughs) trickling down the screen. And you're like, oh, my God, these people are fucking fools. I mean, they're fools. (laughs) Spike Lee is a clown. Okay. And I realize that may sound like, you can't say anything about someone who's not white. Spike Lee is a clown. I mean, he read, first of all, he read, it must have been, okay, maybe I was stoned, but he read for three hours and 47 minutes. I think I think that's just the weed. Okay, but it was long, right? I, I didn't see it. I just, I watched his success, and then I felt like I did some chores, I came back, he was still doing it, and I was like, there's no <laughs> walk. There's no walk-off music. I'm like, how come Spike... And I get it, man. I get the whole idea. I get the idea that Spike Lee's been in the game for a long time. He's been in the game. Do the right thing. It's a great movie. But it's like everyone else is getting walked... You know, everyone else has been in the game. Maybe they're not as public. They're not tripping people on the Knicks basketball courts like Spike Lee. But (laughs) these other people getting walked off after like 20 seconds. (laughs) Spike Lee's up there for four minutes. Anyway, uh, I just thought that was absurd. It was like, what's the prop bet on Spike Lee mentioning slavery in the first 20 seconds of his speech? It's like, come on, man. Like... I, look, like I said, we, you know me, Tommy. I'm liberal enough. Right. But I swear to God, I'm watching this stuff. I'm going, I feel like I'm looking at the council of the Hunger Games at Capital City. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> you're like, the most regretful <laughs> liberal I've ever met. <laughs> like, well, you I, hate that you're liberal. Well, I just was watching these people. I'm going, like, it, it felt like the, the Capital City at the Hunger Games. Like, everyone's like Donald Sutherland. Everyone, like, like, like the way they dress, it's just like, what do you, Guys, relax, man. And then they're getting up there, and they get their, they're, and they're like hyperventilating and crying, and like, <laughs> it, it, it's just like, what do you think this is, man? What do you think this is? The culmination to you? of a lifetime of work in some weird field, like. So the culmination editing? of of a lifetime work is that little thing. I guess so. I don't know. That's what guess, we've boiled it down to. I guess we all just want acknowledgement and stuff. That's why my favorite. Uh, preamble to it of course it was louis ck when he talked about the documentary short oh that was that? so funny that was the best that was thing ever so funny he goes he goes I'll you realize the person it. who was winning this drove here and they're on the <laughs> civic oh man that's that's the hardest i probably ever laughed at the oscars oh that was great okay anyway we let's anyway i don't want to get too deep into the oscars i already said some offensive stuff but if you thought it was offensive yeah. i don't care. you got you met the, your quota for the day well it's just it's not offensive but it's a it's, it's a weird it's a weird world where if you Say something specifically about a person, and because that person falls into an intersectional category, right. it becomes generally offensive. What? Yeah. Lee, I'm not saying Spike Lee is a clown because he is a black person. Spike no. Lee is a clown because uh, just the way he acts. He acts like a, 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 a. And I don't think that. Look, I'm a, I like being a clown. I don't think being a clown is a bad thing. But As a stand up comedian. I am. Yeah. I'm literally a paid clown. <laughs> Imagine calling someone a clown. But then the. Then the you're in that suit and you're jumping up on Samuel Jackson with your jujitsu closed guard hug. Sam Jackson is the first actor, or Spike Lee's the first director who ever hired Sam Jackson. Yeah, and I get that's a very emotional moment. I get all this stuff. And then it's like right away, it's like, okay, now listen. And meanwhile, he didn't, by the way, let's just say this Spike okay. Lee was not the only person who won that award. 
Can I just yeah, say yeah. that? It was four people. Four people. Did totally. any of them talk? No. Okay. So do you huh? think that Spike Lee's more deserving than them? I'm, I'm asking. He's just, he just has the celebrity. He has a celebrity. Yeah. That, that is sad. That so is let part me of the this. Hollywood game. If Spike Lee was a white celebrity, do you think it would have, it would have, he would have been the only one speaking? Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have no idea. Sometimes I just, I just think that like people that the Oscars is more entrenched in white guilt than any other thing in the world. Yeah. And people behave in such a way that, like, we can't do any. It's why Kevin Hart got. The fact that there's a host because Kevin Hart made a homophobic comic 11, eight years ago, it's just absurd. I just, I'm looking at this stuff going, like, this is what I've. They're trying to be so politically correct that the whole ceremony is kind of tripping over itself at this point. And, and, okay, so this brings. This and is then the they segue. try and cut out editing and cinematography yes. to, to make the show better. Yeah, I know. When that's, ridiculous. like, the main aspect of filmmaking. But they yeah, want to do I mean, short films that no it, one's watching. The whole, it's a little ridiculous. So this goes into my next subject we want to talk, want to talk about writing. That being said, I writing. Mean, if you want to give me one, I'm all open to yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about writing, because I was looking at the writing, because these actors go out there, like uh, Gary Oldman, who I love, He's with uh, uh, Allison Janney, who I love. But they did the dumbest, like, one of them is a cigar smoking, blah, 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 drunk, blah, blah, blah. And the other one's Winston Churchill. I'm like, that's the hackiest, easy, like, that's the best writers for the Oscars for one of the best actors of his generation, Gary Oldman. I don't know. <laughs> so I was thinking about, I was thinking about writing because this brings us to this podcast, Steve O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my first introduction, <laughs> good segue, right? Yeah, right. Well, I was, oh yeah, the podcast. <laughs> because I was writing for, uh, for Steve O and, um, he, and he's a lot of, like, I've written for a few comics, and most of them, like, they shall not be named. Of course. Because there's a real stigma for writing for other comics. Absolutely. And there's different ways of writing. One is, like, you just pitch them jokes. Here's a bit. Here's a bit. Mm-hmm. And they go, I like this. I don't like this. I, don't. I mean, it's like what Chris Rock does. You know, people, he, okay, yes, yes, yes. No, yes, no. You still have to be a comic to accept and take it and hone it. And, and then there's people who, I mean, I guess you can just completely write some set, which will never work mm-hmm. for a comic. Yeah. No great comic out there is doing a set that someone else wrote. Definitely not. And then the other thing is the comic who's being written for just pitches their jokes. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And there's a person going, no, yes. How about this? Tweak that. Right? Right, right, right. Anyway, so I've done all three of styles of writing for different people. And I did it for Steve-O. And I didn't want to mention it because I feel like he – and he was like – the first thing goes, hey, man, you're one of the only writers Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like. He's open and fresh about it. And the funny thing about it is he doesn't really uh, – use the stuff I, I write for him he uses i write like 100 jokes he'll use like three right it's really just him and his stories and it's and uh anyway back to steve so i think steve-o is really sort of um he's kind of like a magical dude in a, in a weird way he has been able to have this cra- crazy extreme life that a lot of you guys know about just not only with the the stunts but with alcohol and the drugs and just breaking the law in general and he kind of has come out on the other side. Unscathed. It seems like he's unscathed. It seems completely unscathed. Like he, I remember I just staring at his nose during the podcast going, you've broken your nose five times? It look, it's much better than my nose. <laughs> Handsome dude. Handsome dude. He's got a beautiful girlfriend. He's, he's up to big stuff in the world, trying to open up an animal sanctuary. And I think he's going to do it with his new fiance, soon-to-be wife. And um, he's a great guy. I think he's really special. I think people kind of don't really give him the credit that he deserves sort of as a, as a, what am I looking for? As a, I don't know, as as a comic, but just as a, as an artist, as a force of nature, as a cultural icon in a way, you know? So anyway, anything you want to say about it? What do you, what do you, 
what did you think when you listened to the interview? Did you like it? Did you hear it? I mean, I was really excited to just uh, be there. It was yeah. cool to meet Steve-O. I mean, I grew up, and the coolest thing to do in my town was there was one skate park, and so everybody was skating. So I was big into the skate scene in my you know middle school, high school years, and Steve-O, he was an icon. He was an icon. He was a hero. I mean, yeah. especially just our mentality at the time. Me and my friends, we got a little camcorder VHS, and we would try and do stunts dumb things we weren't lighting ourselves yeah, on yeah. fire we were just jumping off shit yeah but uh it was really cool to see him face to face yeah awesome man Glad that. anyway uh so check out the interview i guess it's probably about an hour long or so and uh it's really cool enjoy bye bye it's the after left after left welcome to the after left after left after left <laughs> after left man <laughs> go ahead pull up a chair <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, guys. It is Bill Dawes, and welcome to The After Laugh. Um, this is a... I know I, I often say it's a special episode, but this is actually a pretty special episode for me because you, Steve-O, are one of my favorite people that I don't know that well, but we're friends, and I, you know... Fuck yeah. And, and uh, you're hands down my favorite joke writer. Really? 100%. Oh, man. Now, that's good I've been on this comedy club circuit for... Uh, approaching nine years. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. from the fucking beginning, I was trying to uh, like get help writing, and nobody, like uh, to date, nobody, still nobody's ever written a bit for me. You just can't write a bit. I for know, me. I know. Well, that's and that's because like my I don't really have bits as much as I have experiences, which turn into bits. Yeah. Uh, so of course nobody can write bits for me, but even like jokes adding you know like I, i've had miserable fucking failure i'd love to say oh I, I i write all my own material because i have integrity it's not that <laughs> I, I basically write all my own material because yeah. i can't fucking I, I can't ever get excited about uh jokes that other people write for of me of course and um and you're like l- largely the exception man. oh wow like uh it's um it's what you did for that bit uh about me Having uh, the what? flesh of, de- of seven different dead people <laughs> grafted onto fifteen percent of my body, to this day, like I, I'm still doing that bit, uh, and uh, every time I just think, "Fuck, man, I almost feel like just a complete." Uh, I don't want to say fraud, but I always just feel like, uh, like, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's telling your jokes and it's huge laughs every time. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Well, first so, of- so having a new show and having sent you the link last night and you checked it out, I'm just like a fucking kid on Christmas oh, Eve shit. waiting to on. check out the uh, <laughs> whatever tags that that you wrote for me for that. Well, I, I was telling uh, Tommy Wakefield, who's here, uh, the producer, and, and uh, hey, I was good to be here. I was by the way, he he is like a ch- it's, it feels so weird, like I'm dating him, saying you're a childhood fan, but you know what I mean. Oh, totally, f- I grew up in that huge skate boom. Fucking Rad, skate man. with my friends, watching Jackass. <laughs> we, I mean, you get, were heroes to us. Well, hey, I appreciate it, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love it when people say uh, thanks for the laughs when it's so obvious to me that I should be thanking them for laughing. It's all yeah, I ever, that's all I true. Ever wanted. That's true. You know, it, it's funny. I was thinking this today. I was like, you know, what's interesting about you, Sivo, is that, uh, like, I like you, and I want you to have like a great, healthy, happy, amazing life, and I want you to thrive and have a you're engaged now right that's right but i also want you to do crazy stupid shit and that's a weird that's a weird (laughs) sort of combination 
That's and that must be the same thing for you, too. That's exactly where I'm at. I live a double life. Yeah. You know? And uh, to do... Yeah, plus, I'm in my fucking 40s. It's like, uh, you know, how much longer can I do uh, th- this, like, really crazy jackass shit before it gets creepy to watch? You know, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's a legitimate question, and I feel like I'm kind of racing against the clock to... Uh, for one like big last push. Oh my god. Know? So so now you have another dilemma which is not only are you getting older but you also want to top. Sure. The, the other bar shit. gets higher and the body gets uh, <laughs> less capable. Yeah. <laughs> and uh you know the desire to to you know I don't know just keep the the dream alive man. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, now I want to, um, before we get into like some of the deep cuts about what you're up to and what you're going to do, I want to get back, I think a lot of people are very curious about Steve-O as a child and like what it is, because let's say someone who doesn't know Jackass and didn't grow up in Jackass like this Jamuk over here, uh, you know, if, if you don't know, I mean fucking Google, number one, but number two, uh, a lot of people would say that you are, are crazy or maybe have a death wish or whatever it is, and growing up... Uh, usually gives the clues to why people have that type of mentality. And I'm wondering, like, what was, what was your upbringing that kind of got you into the, that world? Well, uh, I, I had a super successful father. Uh, he was a, a successful CEO of various companies. Um, I grew up in five different countries because Dad's oh, job wow. moved us all around. Can you say what type of work he was doing? Sure. Uh, I was born in England. Dad was working for Procter & Gamble or something or other. I know that... Uh, when I was six months old, my family moved to Brazil. Dad uh, was the president of all of Pepsi Cola. Sorry, Pepsi Cola in all of Brazil. Oh wow! So like, by when I was six months old, Dad was already like popping off. He was uh, balling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they they had um, live-in maids, uh-huh. right? Like uh, nannies kind of deal. The you know these Brazilian Portuguese-speaking oh, sure. uh, live-in maids who uh, essentially raised me, you know, like uh, I spoke my first words in Portuguese oh, because wow. I was raised by the live-in maids. Yeah, where was your mom? Was your mom a same mom? Mom uh, was, was balling, she was drinking. <laughs> mom, mom was a hardcore alcoholic. Yes, As yes. well as everybody on my mom's side of the family. For sure. Hardcore alcoholics. What were they, because uh, my mom was Irish and they were all like dead from drinking it. Uh, I mean, I don't know that nationality has much to do with it. I think that... Uh, it, you know, uh, but but my mom's side is Canadian. My okay. Mom's side of the family is Canadian. So you remember her when you were a kid? You remember her drinking and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shit, yeah. Uh-huh. For sure. I remember both my parents drinking. Uh, but mom, it, it turned really dark with, with her drinking. Yeah. And uh, so I guess, you know, you know, I mean, I have to be Sigmund Freud. You know, <laughs> you know like, there's, uh, I had neglectful parents. I had a drunk mom. I had an absentee dad. Yeah, and, drunk uh, mom. That'll do it. And, and, uh, and I upped and moved. Yeah. You know, like every couple of years. So there must have been, I guess, not to reduce it too much, there must have been a need for attention, like you wanted attention. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think from- that uh, that there's, uh, you know, uh, uh, indication there of, of uh, how attention-seeking, uh, you know. I'm a world-class attention whore. You know, I'm not. I'm not complaining about well, it. What was one of the things I also love about you is you're very unapologetic about it. Because I feel like if you are a comic or an actor or anyone in entertainment, at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. You're like, look at me, mom. Look at me. And you're dancing around like a monkey, and <laughs> sure. then to pretend like, no, I'm an artist. Well, paint if you're an artist. 
if you're an actor or comic, right. you really want attention. And you've I, always been like, hey, man, yeah, sure. I want to get on TV. Sure. I, I think most uh, comedians, I really think most comedians would agree that there's some sort of like dark self-loathing that, that's involved or, or uh, you know, driving the, the urge to get on stage. And Yeah, yeah. You know, love me, love me. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't love myself. I need you to do it for me, please, please, love me. Of course, of course. <laughs> so, were you, uh, were you a latchkey kid? Was that kind of your upbringing? Were you? Well, what's latchkey kid? Mean? Well, I guess you were la- latchkey kid. Means that like, kids who would like let themselves in from school and their parents oh, were there. And- yeah. Well, if mom was drunk, going to school tended to be optional. <laughs> um, and dad was always on business trips, and that was mostly when mom was drunk. Yeah, uh, and then when Dad came home, all of a sudden it would be like super disciplinarian to try to <laughs> compensate for the time he wasn't there. So there is yeah. a real hot and cold inconsistency. Yeah, you know, we- which uh, I don't know is super helpful. <laughs> was your dad because it's my thing about my family? I think my mom was a, was a, a bad drunk, and uh, my dad worked every day. But but I felt like my mom hid it from him it was like the big secret in our family and no one ever talked right. about it sure and and my dad somehow managed to uh just not know or like you know like your dad had just these rose-colored glasses and uh he was pretty uh oblivious so he'd come back from work and your mom would be all right. dolled up like now, mom what are you who are you fooling and so much of this has been like um you know, uh, you cover your time and time again, but I'll tell you a part that, that really wasn't. You know, I don't know that there's been a podcast that I, I told this on. Yes, awesome. But, That's uh, all I want. I was, um, you know, of course, famously locked up in a psychiatric ward by Johnny Knoxville and the other jackass, you know, not not the cast, but, but the, the crew. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was in, you know, like spitting on people when they got me to the hospital and they changed my, uh, you know, the under the legal code 5150. They oh, could yeah. keep you for three days against your will. So, yeah. But so I was so belligerent, they gave me 5250, which meant that they could keep me for two weeks against my will. Oh, wow. Only about seven days into it. Uh, or I should say, it only took about seven days for the fog to clear enough and for me to, to realize that I really was desperately in need of, uh, you know, of a, a lifestyle change. Yeah. How old, when was this? What year was this? This was in uh, March of 2008. 2008, so just over okay. 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, Dad, you know, I, I, I went directly from that psychiatric ward to uh, a hospital uh, slash, you know, um, rehab where Dr. Drew Pinsky was yeah, the... He was the the director of the chemical dependency unit. That, I think that was his last position, actually, working as a doctor. I think since then he's just been sort of a, a media personality. Was this on TV when you were doing this rehab? Uh, mm-hmm. It was not, okay. no. I mean, I would go on to later put out uh, a documentary sort of, uh, you know, retroactively, or in retrospect, I should say. Yeah. But uh, we show up and Dad flew out to, uh, you know, sort of, be there as I made the tra- the transfer from the psych ward to the rehab. Yeah. We're checking, this is the story that I haven't told. <laughs> We're checking into this rehab, you know, and they got me in like a waiting room and they're getting ready to, you know, process me or whatever, intake. And um, just sitting in there, um, 
with my dad and dad's dad's trying to be all like chipper about everything he says uh he says, you know once we get once we put this behind us you know once we get this fixed yeah. you know like we're gonna go to we're in rehab this is gonna be like fixed you know once it's behind us and he put it in the same idea in one other way and i was like dad this doesn't get fucking fixed. I, I, I kind of like threw a little temper tantrum. I said, we don't fucking put this behind us. It doesn't get fucking fixed. Yeah. I'm a fucking drug addict. I'm always going to be a fucking drug addict forever. It's never going to fucking change. And the fact that you were married to mom for 25 years and still don't fucking know that is pathetic. Wow. You know, and I said, dad, I'm just here because I finally, like, because uh, I'm fucking serious about this, you know? Yeah. And like... And, and if I'm going to be serious about this, you got to be serious about this too. You yeah. know, like it's, uh, you know, like uh, it's, it's, everybody's fucking sick in the equation, you know? And it's yeah. crazy, like looking back on it, how, uh, just how, like how educated I was about it, you know? Like I knew damn well my problem and I knew like what, I just wasn't willing to do shit about it, yeah. you know? But at that point, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I was all in. I was, I was truly all in. So once we got to the the intake, you know, past the intake, and then like we were actually with Dr. Drew, uh, I said to Dr. Drew, uh, yeah, because I was acutely aware of what the statistics are. Yeah. Um, I had been in rehab um, once before, 13 years prior to that. In 1995, mom locked me up in rehab. Your mom did? Mm-hmm. It was the same thing, 5150 type of deal? No, that was, uh, I, I'm only bailing you out of jail if you go straight to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, I, at the time, I had uh, a cast on my arm from the, my, my last drunken fucking, you know, escapade. And they determined, the, the jail deemed the cast on my wrist to be uh, a, a potential weapon. Which Whoa. would give me an unfair advantage in a fight. So they had, <laughs> so they had me in like the, the scariest cell. Oh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> it was like the most long-term hardcore inmates. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because I had this cast on my wrist, they wanted to like level the playing field. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I didn't want to be in there. So I, I, mom said, "I'm not, I'm not bailing you out unless you go to rehab." How long were you gonna be in jail for if you didn't go to rehab? Oh fuck! I, I would have been in thirty days. That's a good question, man. Probably. Uh, I, I honestly don't fucking know. I bet I didn't. I didn't want to be there. Period. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's only a thousand bucks or something. I, I didn't have this fucking shit. <laughs> um, but in any case, uh, back in 1995, I remember a counselor saying to all of us patients, "He said, all right, uh, 95% of alcoholics die drunk." of causes related directly to alcoholism. Like yeah. only there's some, you know, version of the statistic. That's what the statistic is. Yeah. Or like uh, 5% of less of alcoholics ever achieve long-term sobriety. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's crazy. I never knew that. Now, like of the of those alcoholics who are actually working a program of recovery. Yeah. It's better. They're probably you know, or, you know, like once you get into the program of recovery and actually do the stuff, yeah. Then you know you're then you, like it's 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 not so daunting. Yeah. But very few alcoholics ever even try yeah. to do the work of recovery. And then we do the work of recovery like, <coughs> to finish right. it and go through all the steps. It's a whole other process. Right. But it's a disease that doesn't fucking go away. It, it, if anything, it just gets worse. You have to continue to do all of this fucking shit. You know, like this twelve step shit. Yeah. You know, you, you have to. 
Yeah, I have to help other people, you know, the, the, like with the same recovery shit. That's how it works. And I, and I, so I was acutely aware that the, the odds are so stacked against the alcoholic drug addict, you know? Yeah. And so when, when Dr. Drew, we're talking to him, you know, on this intake bit, bit uh, I said to him, uh, I don't want to fucking waste my time doing this, you know? Like, I know the odds are not in my favor. And I said to him, however long you recommend that I be in this rehab, I want to stay significantly <laughs> longer. Yeah. Because I know that the, the odds are against me. I want to give myself every possible advantage. I want to get this fucking right. I do not want to waste. If I'm going to do this, I'm all in. I don't yeah. want to waste my time. Yeah. And uh, to his credit, and I give him a lot of credit for this, because that's essentially handing him a, bl a blank check for a place that, like uh, I forget what it, what it was, but uh, like I, I passages Malibu was one of these like it, fancy. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't cheap, but it wasn't known for its. Um, yeah, you know, it, it it wasn't known for being uh, luxurious. So it wasn't one of those therapy there. Yeah. So there wasn't. Yeah. They did have tennis courts. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. do, I do was remember there being tennis courts. Lovely. Was it the type of place where you walk around like, oh, that guy. Oh, I, I like your TV show. Oh, that guy. No, it one dude, of those I, I have a funny, a funny thing though. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you in a second. But, but, but Drew, it was like handing my blank check, and he said, "No, like, uh, I don't recommend you be here for more than thirty days. But then I recommend you go into a sober living, you know, halfway oh. house sober living facility. Yeah, yeah. Which is like something that most people really, you know, like. Here you gotta be, you know, like. Scrub toilets. You got to be in bed with your lights out at a certain hour. Yeah. You know, well, explain like to people gotta, what, what sober living is because I actually, I met like a girl at sober living. <laughs> we started dating while she was in sober living, but most people don't know what it is. It's uh, it's it's a transition sort of uh, living situation where you know after you go to rehab, if you think you're gonna go to rehab and just go right back to whatever home you were in, yeah. you know, to go back to where you were doing and what you were doing. They got the you same shit, there. yeah, they got you in the first yeah, place. Yeah, then you're just going to, you got to start over. You got to start fresh. And you need to really, like, you know, change everything about your lifestyle. And so you can't just go back to the environment that led you. Yeah. Where you were, you know, and like, and, and for that matter, you can't, you know, you can't tackle this shit by yourself at all. I mean, you can't, you know, like. So if you're gonna be alone with your thoughts, that's the, like the most dangerous place to be. Yes. You want to be like surrounded by people in a safe environment, and uh, you know, like not be alone, and and you know, sort yeah. of do it like, uh, you know, it's a we thing, and um, so yeah, like uh, you live in in a sober living. It's you know, yeah, I had a roommate. You know, I had to like be up by nine in the morning with my bed made. I had to do my chores. I had to like and do who's, all my. Who's overlooking it though? They're just the person. The house who, manager. And the house manager—they're not accountable to the. They're accountable to the state, maybe, but they oh, don't that, have. No, well, they're accountable to the owner of the place. Owner of the place. Yeah, okay. it's not like a government like state. It's thing. sort of a private thing. It's a private thing. So for you sure. can have crazy people running a sober living and getting away with it, probably too, right? Of course, of yeah. course. And then like it, it's a whole seedy thing because. You know, like it's like oh, if they're paying, you know, like I was in a in a like well above board spot where yeah. where they drug tested me at random twice every week. Oh wow! Every time you come into the house, you blow into a breathalyzer. You know, they make sure that nobody's fucking around in there. Yeah, and uh, and so that's and I ended up staying in sober living inside two years, which is for two years, two years of sobriety before I left. No, I think one of the questions I have about <laughs> the sober living, and I think some other people might too, is is 
and it's also one of the problems I, I have with the program. I've never been the program. I went to NA a couple times because because my mom and stuff, and I've I don't know why like a moth to a flame. Every girl I date has had addiction problems, but uh, but there's a problem with like sex and shit. Like there's because you have a bunch of people who have some form of OCD. Maybe you could argue that alcoholism is that. And then all of a sudden that's cut off and they're like, but I have this brain that works like this and now I need something else and I'm going to sure. fuck you. So yeah, I imagine. Well, yeah, for sure. That was that happened to me, man. I ended up in, in sex addict rehab after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. were, you, were, you, were you in sober, I mean, in sober living, are you supposed to also be like celibate? Is that part of uh, the- I mean, celibate. I don't think anybody's celibate. You yeah. Know? Um, <laughs> but. Uh, it's and, and there's no hard and fast rule you yeah. know, by any means, but uh, it's certainly not recommended to get into a relationship in your first year of sobriety. Yeah, I waited seven months before I dove into a relationship. And you were and celibate I, for that time, or you were just ah, uh, distinctly was not celibate. <laughs> celibate means Elvis does not leave the building. You <laughs> <laughs> like that means that. you don't pee white ever. That's, That's what celibate means. Hilarious. Yeah. But you were celibate for a while. I, I was. Yeah, yeah. When, after when I got into the sex program, I was. I was celibate for a long fucking time. So it was a sex. So it's like a twelve-step sex sex acts anonymous or sex and love addicts exactly anonymous. Exactly. Sex addicts anonymous. Yeah. And um, similar process in the. Yeah, it's just different because because with alcohol and drugs, it's like so black and white. You know, you just right. don't drink. You know, but but with uh, the sex program, you're not trying to uh, become asexual. You know, you're just sure. trying to change your approach to sexuality in a way that's not addictive or destructive. Yeah. And oh, uh, God, because you've heard about the thirteenth. It's step more like, like the sex program is more like the food program because you still have to eat. Right. Yeah. You exactly. just have to have an approach to eating that's not compulsive and mm. and. Uh, and did that work for you? Did, was that something that you got uh, out of that? You know, I, I'd say so. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking stoked. Yeah, I'm engaged. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and and my girl really, um, really appreciates the, my whole approach to it. Like, uh, like sincerely, <clears throat> because um, because I, it's, it's our relationship is based on that. You know, I, pre- I preemptively did all of that work so that I could have a healthy relationship, a healthy relationship, and a life yeah. partner. Well, let's say one of the other people here might have some worries about being a sex addict. What what advice would you, Tommy? No, what advice would you oh, say? Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of comments. I mean, eat, like, I think that you'd hardly be human if you didn't have some kind of an issue around sex. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, it's 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 a tricky thing. But um, so, what was your what how? Because I imagine it goes back to childhood. They go, there's something about your sure. childhood. So it's probably linked to the same thing that <clears throat> uh-huh. made you become Steve-O, the same sort of need for I think so. validation, I guess. There's there's that fear of abandonment, whatever, neglect, attention-seeking. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're asking what like what characterized my, uh, my acting out behavior, it's mostly, uh, I mean, just like once I started... In, I mean, I, I always was just like, you know, trying to act out, like uh, put up the numbers, you know, like have as many, you know, the sexual encounters as, as I could possibly achieve. And, uh, I, you know, as I got older, it, uh, it, re- it really just struck me that, that I was on a path that didn't lead to being really happy, you know, like trying to yeah. hook up with random chicks everywhere you go all the time. Yes. When you're almost 40... It's kind of like not that cool anymore, you know. Yeah. And I, I had an old joke. I was like, I, you know, I hear I'm almost forty, and I'm like, I don't want to be fifty, 
you know, physically falling apart and trying to hump everything that moves. <laughs> I don't want to turn into Polly Shore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's funny you said that because I, you know, in the comedy world, obviously you go around, you see a lot of comics who are, I don't want to name names, obviously, but. I, I don't know. think it's like even Charles, that, like. Uh, Charles, Charles Flesher. Anyway, so there are people who are like 50s and 60s with their like Instagram model and you're like, that doesn't look cool, actually. You think it looks, you walk in as a six-year-old man with a 25-year-old girl thinking like, these dudes are jealous. But in my mind, I'm like, you look crazy and she obviously has daddy issues. Right. <laughs> I remember, like, the, the <clears throat> before uh, I, I got in this relationship with my fiance, I remember uh, going to some event, like, uh, you know, this is back in, like, 2016, and, and Tony Hawk had uh, a Tony Hawk Foundation you know, fundraising dinner at some huge, like, Bel Air mansion, you know? Yeah. It was, like, all, like... Just like Celebrity Central and like skateboard legends and yeah. you know the Bones Brigade and like just all these like rad people, and uh, you know Tony Hawk is is now 50. At the time he would have been I don't know like uh, maybe 47 or something, um, but uh, here like I was sitting next to Rodney Mullen who is like you know same age, mm -hmm. and like Rodney Mullen with his wife and I had this like. I don't know, like 22, 23-year-old chick with me, yeah. like a total Instagram model. <laughs> and I felt like just such a fucking creep. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I really did. You know, uh, it, it's almost like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I almost, like, yeah, daddy issues, and it just comes across as like a predatory kind of thing. Almost. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, particularly probably now more than ever. Yeah. Um, so now, now with that, my fiance is a lot younger than I am. You know. Yeah. But uh, at least she's in her thirties. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, even she was, it doesn't matter because you obviously like are are committing to her. Right. And you love her, and that I want to get to your fiance later. I also want to go back a little bit too because we were talking about uh, growing up, traveling around. Uh, then you got into the skate scene. When were, it was, was that the first sort of foray into the world of. Uh, of, of of jackass was it, I know it was the, the skate magazine. Well, yeah, the skate. Yeah, skateboarding led me to the video camera when I was fifteen. I made my first video. And was it dangerous, or was it just like, just hey, these are tricks? For the most part, it was just these are tricks, and there was like, uh, like oh, like wow, that was a heavy slam. I fell down, or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there there was some some silly stuff, you know, like uh, there was definitely some goofiness, but it wasn't really stunt stuff until I got to college. So when when you're at that age of 15 and you're filming, I guess it's like what an old like video VHS, VHS thing. Technically VHSC meaning VHSC. compact. Yeah, yeah. And how would you how would that disseminate? How would that go around these then videos? Then I would uh then I would put the VHSC tape into the VHS adapter, put yeah. that into a VCR which was plugged into another VCR. Hit play on the yeah, or the first one and yeah. hit record on the second one for yeah. the select bits. Yeah. And then uh, once I had the edited, you know, take the second tape, put it back in the first one, hit play with a, a cord running from the stereo to lay music over it. So I'd be like, and you used to, you used to lose resolution of every course. time you of recorded course, every So by the time it had music on it, it looked <laughs> fucking awful. And, the, and it was like, uh, you know, the the resolution was like... Now there's like 4K. Like it of was course, like it's four ridiculous. Back 
So you would take this tape and then you would mail it to places that Well, yeah, once once the stunts, you know, started happening and uh, then it was like like I was, had like an assembly line going with yeah. uh, you know, play and record. Like I was like stacks. There'd be on one side of the, you know, like the blanks and then the 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 they would turn into a stack of recorded ones, and I would physically mail them from the post office. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And so you were in high school doing this. Was there ever, before you got? Oh well, no, college. this was after college. The stunts, oh, college. the stunts really started in earnest in college, and I dropped out and and pledged to become a crazy famous stuntman. That's awesome. So you were how old when you dropped out of college? I just turned nineteen. Just turned nineteen. You dropped out. You're like, I'm going to do this. What was the first nibble that you got from someone who could actually? put this out ah uh, like was there a moment where you're like i'm before you like i'm going to be professional did you have interest or you were like just did, did flying you have, blind like, a dream company you were sending it to were you trying to get sponsored or like <clears throat> where where were you uh, sending the tape um skateboard magazine big distinctly big brother magazine big which brother. would which would go on to essentially turn into jackass and big brother there's a documentary about it right now called Dumb, which yeah, is on Hulu. Amazing yeah. documentary. Yeah, yeah. Really, yeah, Dumb. The Dumb documentary on Hulu really is something else. I was at the premiere for that, and uh, and it was um, even disturbing, you know, because <laughs> you look at Jackass, and Jackass had uh, such a kind of a wholesome quality about it. It's weird to say that Jackass was wholesome. I agree. But if he, but uh, there was just never anything mean spirited about it, you know. Like we were never like, uh, like having um, anything at the expense of anybody else. It was all like expense like, of yourself. It was all at our own expense. There was no like misogyny. There was no bigotry. There was yep. like it was all like really pure, and the spirit of it was was uh, was like genuinely positive. And, yeah, and um, like like just. Good spirit. Yeah. Um, but the the origin of Jackass really wasn't that wasn't the case as much. <laughs> you know, that dumb documentary, which is the Jackass. Well, give, origin give people story. some highlights about that. So so you were you were doing these tapes because you kind of got into the Jackass scene a little bit later than um, Johnny Knoxville already kind of started his group. Right. Well, see, Big Brother. I mean, if I can like boil it down, and this is essentially the the bullet points outline of the. Uh, of the dumb documentary, um, there was uh, a I don't know Bill Gates, a Steve, you know, like a a, 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 a venture capitalist type of deal. A guy in skateboarding. Now, keep in mind that skateboarding is uh, like back in the day when I first started skateboarding, everything was like really light and fun and cute. And like, you know, like, like all of the revenue coming into the skateboard industry was, was really dependent upon the approval of moms, you know, because the, the kid would show up at the skate shop and, and who was paying, you know, mom was mom. paying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mom was paying. And so like the, 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 the very small, media in skateboarding thrasher you know so like was like really pretty careful not to uh piss off the mom piss off mom you yeah. know like in in those early in those early days the skateboarding like even the they like skateboard videos would have a section where like you know it's called the slam section yeah where like they gathered all the the fails the falls yeah. and they would be careful to make that like cute and funny you wouldn't have like like the really violent like bone crushing like nothing you know like yeah testicle racking shit <laughs> you know they like 
they, that was really the way the skateboard industry was up until a, a point in the late 80s. And, and what um, happened? What was the shift? Well, uh, there was just this fucking guy, Steve Rocco, and he owned uh, what was called World Industries, and it was a conglomeration of companies where he essentially had a monopoly on the skate industry. And he said, fuck this, man. I'm not fucking kissing ass anymore. I'm Fuck that, you know, like... I'm, uh, you know, he put out this, the, the, the first video that really celebrated what skateboarding actually is, which is vandalism. It's fucking like destruction. It's punk. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's illegal. It's anarchy. Know? Yeah. It's trespassing. It's vandalism. It's fucking like self harm. You know, like you fucking get hurt. Like, uh, it's fucking badass, you know? And on yeah. top of that, it's like, it's, it's prohibitively fucking difficult like i started skateboarding within 10 minutes of walking out of the the back to the future part one in 1985 <laughs> everybody started skateboarding because of back to the future that's part one so funny the hoverboard in 1985 yeah, yeah. I knew where there, I had seen a skateboard. I went straight to it when I walked out of that movie theater. <laughs> Became a skateboarder from that point. Yeah. That that uh, Christmas, it would have been Christmas of 1985. Yeah. Um, there was a fucking skateboard underneath every tree. Every fucking kid got a skateboard. <laughs> and where at, was this? Where were you Christmas. at this point? I was living in, in England. In England. In oh, England. wow, even in England. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of, skateboard kind of Ameri- started. I went to the American school in England, but this was a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The skateboard was underneath every fucking tree, every Christmas tree, Christmas <laughs> of 1985. <laughs> and in short order, probably, I don't know, probably uh, 90% of those skateboards were just set to the side because they're fucked that this shit's too hard. Yeah, they tried. It was like, it's it kind of like the hoverboards. They got real popular and people wiped out and broke their arms. The it's first. like, it's just too difficult. Like, And then once, <clears throat> you know, that was sort of like the birth of street skating around that time. And yeah. then you saw the, the ollie, like to, to ollie like up a curb, you know, to get the to jump. The, it's so fucking difficult. Yeah. You know? Like once like a... Like the, the the percentage of these kids that actually learned how to ollie, like skateboarding, just straight up, it weeds out the weaklings, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, because it, because if you like, if you're a half-ass person, you're never gonna learn how to ollie a skateboard. Yeah. It's just too fucking hard. It takes too much work. It takes too much perseverance, and uh, and it requires you to fall down and get hurt and then get back up and keep doing it. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. It, skateboarding really isolates. Like a special type of person mm-hmm. that's uh, tenacious, that's like that makes it's, sacrifices. It's weird though, because it's this weird crossover of like burnouts who aren't really accepted by normal society, but they're also like hardworking, sure. perseverant. It's sure, like, it's really yeah. and, and 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 on top of all of that, skateboard skateboarders got such a head start on video production because yeah. there was no other activity yeah. that lent itself to videotaping oneself and editing and making a yeah. sponsor me video. Yeah. So like now, I think it was '88 when Steve Rocco said, "Fuck it," you know. This Steve, everything's because of this guy Steve Rocco. And yeah, he, he took it like, from the moms. He he said, "I'm not trying. I'm not kissing fucking mom's ass anymore." Yeah. And he made this. Uh, he wanted to make the like the first really gnarly skateboarding video that didn't kiss mom's ass. And uh, and uh, interesting that the per the person who produced that video wasn't a video producer by trade wasn't like that there that there was actually a photographer whose job was to take photos for world industries 
Oh. And he got the job of editing the first video, that first gnarly video, which was called Rubbish Heap. Rubbish Heap. Yeah, yeah. The, it got that the photographer got the job of producing that video by default because the, you know he's the and that person was Spike Jones. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, Spike Jones started out as a photographer for uh, for Steve Rocco's World Industries. Wow! And um, so Steve Rocco was just like, "Fuck it, we're gonna be gnarly," you know? Yeah. And, and this, the media of skateboarding was only really. Um, Thrasher, Thrasher and Transworld. Those yeah. were like the two main things. So Steve Ronco was like, I'm not kissing anyone's ass. Fucking skating's gnarly. We're fucking gnarly. <laughs> and he would like promote World Industries, which was all these different companies. Uh, he would His World Industries ads were uh, like deliberately like fucking edgy, like to put it mildly, you know? And there yeah. was like one ad that he submitted to Thrasher and Transworld. It was just, all it was was a big full-page picture of a kid with a gun in his mouth. Like little, Jesus. A little kid with a gun in his mouth, and it said, World Industries, kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no skateboarding, just a fucking, just World that Industries, kill crazy. yourself. That is crazy. gun in mouth. And that was an ad in Thrasher. That was, he submitted it to Thrasher and Transworld. And, uh, I mean, that's how I, that's how I remember. If it wasn't exactly that, it was exactly that. It's a kid with a gun in his mouth. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, like, and so... Both Thrasher and Transworld sent back this ad to Steve Rocco. They're yeah. like, dude, if you think we're going to run this, <laughs> you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah. You know, there's no fucking way we're going to. This is not suitable for our magazine. Our magazine's for kids. You can't yeah. tell kids to kill themselves. We're not going to do it. <laughs> and, and, and one of the two magazines, like the editor-in-chief, like went a step farther and said, hey, you know, like I'm personally really offended by this because, um, because when I was in high school, one of my best friends like killed himself. And uh, Steve Rocco said to the guy, he said, oh, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. He said, hey, maybe you could do me a favor. If you could just, like, write down a list of every little bad thing that's ever fucking happened to you so I can model my business over your little fucking sensitivities. Holy, this guy's hardcore. Write down a little list of every bad thing that ever happened to you so I can be careful about you. <laughs> that makes me think about the world's Sam comedy right now. And so, uh, right, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so then Steve Rocco said, "You know what, the Thrasher? Fuck you, uh, Transworld. Fuck you. If you don't like my fucking ad, then fuck you. I'm not gonna run any fucking ads here because I'm bigger than you. Like yeah. I don't fucking need you. Like I'm fucking Steve Rocco World Industries. I'm gonna make my own fucking magazine. And uh, so that's he started Big Brother." That's Sorry, how Big, Big Brother. Brother was started, was by Steve Rocco, for no purpose whatsoever other than to say fuck you to Thrasher and Transworld and to publish filth that would never, ever be allowed yeah. in Thrasher or Transworld. So Big so Brother. So it was, it was, it was like, like more than, yes, it was a skateboard magazine, but it was only like just to be a, a, a forum, like a, a place to, to print shit that specifically would not be allowed. That was almost like the the... The, the the filter on Big yeah. Brothers. If it would be allowed in Thrasher or Transworld, then it, it should not have a place in Big Brother. That's crazy. And its how many... purpose was to be offensive, and that's it. And on top of that, they're selling it to little kids. So yeah, where did they sell? Where they sell everywhere? Like every magazine I, shop? I think it was mostly just in skate shops. And it yeah. was filled with fucking nudity. I oh, mean, yeah. Like, it, it was... Uh, Filled with nudity, they had like you know like legitimate articles like how to buy crack, like how to make a fake ID, the ten most of, the ten most efficient ways to kill yourself. Like uh, oh, that's right, I remember that in the uh -huh. documentary. And then they had the kids issue, which was like <laughs> I mean like they're they're marketing this to little kids, and that's why I say that when Jackass was such a 
like a wholesome, like like good spirited thing yeah. that wasn't at anybody's uh, at anybody's expense. Like Big Brother was very very much not that. Like, yeah. Because because that like right off the bat, like it's it was marketed to kids, mm-hmm. and it was very not in a good spirit it was like so when i was at the premiere for the dumb documentary it was like really jarring it was distinctly disturbing like wow like our origin was like kind of icky yeah (laughs) you know i mean and and it was it's a rich and 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 incredible history and it'll never be repeated but uh but i you know i walked out of there feeling kind of dirty yeah, no. d- is Steve Rocco, was he involved with Jackass? Was he a part of that? No. What happened when they put out the kids issue, that was like too far. Were you when, involved Were you involved with Big Brother at this point? You were yeah, featured very, on a lot? Yeah, the, 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 the kids issue came out and it was, it was such an uproar that it actually like really got like na- nationwide media attention. Like it was like on the news, like holy fuck, there's this, this fucking magazine being sold to children that's got... You know, X, Y, and Z examples in the magazine. So what in the kids' issue was, was that when the one they had How to Kill it Yourself? It was like, uh, no. They, they, they were asking, like, kids, like, do you have any pubic hair yet? <laughs> oh like, uh, like, would you fuck your mom? Like, if it would magically make you, like, a pro skateboarder, would you fuck your mom? You know? <laughs> like, uh, it was shit like that. And, like, honestly, in the world of Big Brother magazine, like, that wasn't really like that. Wasn't that wasn't crazy It was thing. just because it was the kids' issue that that's what got all the attention. Of course, of and, course. And, in the, in, the, in the midst of of all of that uproar and all of the all of the news coverage, Larry Flint found out. Larry Larry Flint caught wind of it. Yeah. And he and he said, "Oh, what? You know, like First Amendment, fucking huh?" <laughs> and he was like, he just loved it. And, and so so Larry Flint bought out Big Brother magazine. Mm. Steve Rocco sold it to Larry Flint. Wow. And how did it change everything? And at that point, Larry Flint was publishing like some 27 fucking uh, porno magazines and one skateboard <laughs> and magazine one for skateboard kids. Magazine. And there was a, there was like a, a mailroom error at one point where every, uh, every, um, fucking subscriber of, uh, of uh, Big Brother received an issue of Taboo. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's taboo, right. I think I heard yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And every uh, Taboo subscriber received an issue of Big Brother, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, is, which is pretty great. And, yeah, um, yeah when uh, when Larry Flint bought it out, then uh, Jeff Tremaine took over, like, the whole – Yeah. I mean, Larry Flint didn't have anything. And, 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 yeah. Uh, he owned it. But, but Jeff Tremaine became the, became the boss. Yeah. And Jeff Tremaine, of course uh, – well, yeah, tell people the story about the Jeff Tremaine. Well, yeah, Je- sort of- I mean, Jeff Tremaine was like the was was really like the you know the brains behind Big Brother. Sure. Like uh, Steve Rocco was, you know, the whatever like the the boss. Jeff Tremaine was like the you know the the, the brains. Steve Rocco it. had to be a mafia guy, right? Steve Rocco, Steve worldwide industries. <laughs> not not worldwide, just world. World, world, world industries. industries. <laughs> fucking dude, Steve, Steve Rocco's classic, man. Steve yeah. Rocco's classic. I've never met him. I wish. Uh, oh really? That's I fucking wish I, that, that I could hang out with him at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, now. The first issue that I was in of Big Brother was uh, the very first issue that was published by Larry Flint. This okay. was in, uh, I forget what, it came out in uh, maybe like August or September of 1997. Yeah. And uh, Knoxville got involved a couple of years before that in 95. Okay. Um, you hadn't met him yet. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I met him in 99. 
Then, um, so, uh, they, so they would do these, it was again, filled with just the most, <laughs> dude, like, it was such a treat when the new issue of Big Brother would come out. Yeah. I fucking loved it so much. Like, uh, I just loved that shit. And, I mean, it, was, it had a real cult following. Yeah. And, um, every, uh, every year or two, maybe every two years, I guess, um, maybe even more, I don't know. Then they would put out a Big Brother video. And then now in the video, you got to actually see, like, you know, the photos of the magazine come to life and all yeah. this, like, sort of behind the scenes, you know, like, uh, the video would, like, like retroactively chronicle all of the articles in the all magazine. All the pictures that you, you know? saw. Like, you video, think yeah. the, the, so Big Brother videos were fucking Huge. epic. It was yeah. so epic, yeah. And by the time the, uh, the, the Big Brother video that had me in it came out, uh, the first Big Brother video was called Shit. The second Big Brother video was called Number Two. <laughs> uh, the third video was called uh, Boob, which if you held it upside down in a mirror said poop. <laughs> um, so when Boob came out, it, when Boob came out, like the Big Brother videos had like, you know, they, it came out to like pretty pretty legendary like fanfare. Yeah. You know, that, that must have been huge for you that you were in the video. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah it, it, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was totally rad. And um, what I didn't know at the time was that when uh, when the boob video came out, it, it it came out to such fanfare that uh, Jeff Tremaine reached out to Spike Jones, who at this point had gone from his you know making the rubbish heap video in the eighties yeah. to becoming a you know, and, and this is what only like ten or fifteen years yeah. later. Yeah. What was his first big break? Well, music videos, obviously, but the the the, the Beast Boys sabotage video yeah. was it was a big one, and then uh, being John Malkovich made oh, him yeah. uh, made him an Academy Award nominated That's movie crazy. director. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so, before yeah. that, he had a couple of big ones, big films too, right? But so yeah. Spike Jones is, is fucking huge, and yeah. uh, so so the boob video came out in '99, uh, and. Um, and Tremaine reached out to Spike Jones, and he was like, "Hey, like everybody fucking is going crazy over our Big Brother videos, but nobody gives a fuck about the skateboarding." He uh, says, "I think if we, uh, if we subtract the skateboarding, if we just cut out the skateboarding, then what's left over would be an epic TV show." And wow. uh, so when they 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 made a South Park esque ten minute long video sizzle, a sizzle uh -huh, reel, right? Yeah, yeah, of. Uh, of uh, everything from the Big Brother videos minus the skateboarding, and that yeah. was me and not. What were you doing in that? Like uh, jumping off buildings and bridges while on fire and, and drinking <laughs> bong water and like uh, what else? Like pooping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Um, lighting, lighting, lighting shit on fire. Like there's like a lot of acrobatics and, and uh, lighting of uh, on fire and drunken shit and drinking bong water. Yeah, and that was how long was that video? The video, all told, was probably about an hour. Okay, so you do this hour video. So already at this point, do you already have a cult following? Like you walk down the street, people are like, "Hey, it's the dude from the Big Brother video." Was uh, I, I didn't have a. I, I did get recognized, not super frequently. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, there's like a, there's a little bit of a following there. Yeah. Yeah, and I got on the cover of Big Brother. Oh, nice. In, in like uh, 1999. Yeah. Um, Ninety-seven. I, I went to Clown College, and that would have been. Oh, when, I think uh, we talked. Yeah. Yeah. When I went to. Was Ring that in? Where was that? Sarasota, Florida. Sarasota, Florida. Yeah. And you were there for how long? 
I'm like assuming you got kicked out, right? No. I didn't. Yeah, I actually graduated, which is uh, which is a little bit on the surprising side, given how I. What was that like, Crown? I mean, at that point, you must have been like, wait. I'm a bigger clown well, than all you motherfuckers. Well, no, I hadn't really accomplished much of anything. I did have a skill set, and I did have like a, a healthy amount of video footage, but I had zero attraction. Yeah. And my my plan to become uh, like a uh, world famous, you know, famous stunt guy, you know, home, home video you yeah. know, artist. Was there something that you were looking up to, that, like an inspiration? There was zero for that? precedent. There was zero. There was zero like precedent. Maybe evil Knievel, there, there but was, not even. There was some comic relief in skateboarding videos that uh, I aspired to add to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, so, clown so college. At that time, like um, I, I went when I found out about clown college, my goal was to further. Yeah. You know, like, like I, I went, my my intention was to further my goal of becoming a stuntman by yeah. legitim legitimizing my craft, you know, with uh, you know, uh, affiliation with the circus. Like I'm not just a dipshit who lights himself on fire and does simultaneous fire fire breathing backflips. Yeah, yeah. I'm a prof- trained circus professional. That makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was like sort of to to just further my my cause, and and it totally worked. Oh yeah. Really? So you felt like you learned a lot there? Yeah, the big, I mean, the big brother guys got a kick out of it that I was a clown. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was, um, the, that first magazine came out with me and the first Larry Flint issue there was where it had me in there and they came out while I was in clown college. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and they knew that I had gotten accepted before they printed it. So they're like, and now like, congrats, Steve, you know, he's, in, he's becoming <laughs> yeah. a clown. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I love that. So you uh you made this the sizzle reel was made and then it was pitched as a pilot to a bunch of places MTV or um yeah I'm not sure where all it was uh, sent to but I know that there was something of a bidding war between MTV and Comedy Central oh wow Knoxville says they were throwing nickels at each other <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah then it, yeah that's a big risk so they 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 did the pilot and the pilot. I don't think anybody saw it as a risk at all initially. I mean, it was cheap to make. Cheap to make, uh, it's true, I mean, yeah. the, the, the budget for it was so low, and uh, once it came out, the the ratings, made, it was uh, the highest rated show of its kind as far as like a half-hour format. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And that was um, the first episode. Uh, I got a call when episode three aired, which was, of course, two weeks after episode one. So two weeks into it, it was officially the highest rated show in the history of MTV. Oh, wow. Barring, of course, like a VMAs or anything yes. like that. Yeah. But of a half hour format, sort of pre-produced show, yeah. nothing had ever rated as high, nor I think ever been as cheap to produce. So this, so the profit margins yes. were undeniable. Of course. At this but, point. But as soon as it came out, kids started showing up in the hospital all over the country and <laughs> even the world. Yeah, of and, course. And uh, then it became like a, a liability fucking, you know, uh, nightmare. Like they, they, I don't know that there were ever any real serious lawsuits, but like the fear of lawsuits and with of like course. pressure coming from Senator Joe Lieberman, like really. Oh yeah, what? Him. Yeah, he he did a whole congressional. Yeah, he, he started like running like you know his whole fucking platform on like this is awful. It needs to stop and like brought down a lot of pressure. But then you're also like, sweet, we're getting tons of free press here. Uh, I mean, they were playing reruns at like 5 p.m. Like, you know, like uh, that stopped. And then um, <laughs> once we were like uh, once we got into shooting seasons two and three, which they ordered in one go, um, like uh, with all the, the pressure, the, the fear, liability, you know, like the politicians 
um, MTV's their standards and practices really started leaning on us and trying uh -huh. to trying to like like uh, water it down a little bit, you know, to protect themselves. Yeah. And Noxo was not having any part in that bullshit. Of course. Noxo said, I'm not fucking what, given doing a watered down version of this. If you're going to tell me that we can't do what the fuck we want, then I quit. Yeah. And he did. He, he quit the TV show entirely. Oh, wow. And, uh, after how many seasons? After three? Three. Wow. Yeah, three. And then they ran back to back. It was a very short run. And uh, Knoxville had always wanted to quit sort of uh, while people were wanting more. But I think at that point he was pretty well aware. Because I remember being like, dude, I remember being like my attitude was like, dude, fuck, I couldn't even, can't even believe this. Like I was so stoked to be in skateboard videos. I, dude, we're on fucking national television. <laughs> yeah, of course. That was like when it first came out. And Knoxville was like, yeah, like, Big Whoop, we're on basic cable. <laughs> that was how he said. He yeah. was like, "Yeah, we're on basic cable. Like we're wow. we're nobody." So he, he already wanted, had a bigger plan. Oh, That's big crazy. time! And so he he was, I think, thrilled to to have uh, all of this heat coming down because then he could quit. They distinctly wanted more. He knew they were gonna come to him, try to get him to make more. Yeah. And uh, and he said like, "All right, well, if you're so fucking worried about the little kids, make uh, making an R-rated movie that takes care of the liability yep. and give me my fucking movie contract." <laughs> yeah, and they did. Yeah, uh huh. So, so MTV did that. MTV produced right. as and well. Right, and then every movie we ever put out was number one in the box office. That's so crazy. So your life, obviously, once Jackass hit these numbers, must have changed 100. percent Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, o overnight when the TV show came out, you know, when I, I had the bit where I swallowed the goldfish and puked it back up into the <laughs> fishbowl, like my, my my like the the day after that, my life was forever different. You know, and it was an overnight distinct. Yeah, difference. exactly. A lot of people are like, oh, this person's overnight. You were truly like an overnight sensation. For sure. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, the media wasn't so fragmented at that point. I mean, yeah, they had basic cable, but but there was no such thing as watching footage on the internet. Yeah. You know, so if you think of it that way, there was a lot more, uh, a lot less fragmentation in uh, where people consumed. Yeah, people only had a, a few venues to watch anything pretty much at that point. Yeah, and like it really meant something when uh, you got like four million people viewing something. I don't even understand, like given how much my life changed over that. Yeah. And then now, like I'll look at my social media and I'll be like, oh, like, you know, like eight million people just watched that, you know, like, but it doesn't seem to turn the world upside down the way that it, that it did back then. That is fucking crazy. Was there a point? Now, one of the questions I have for you about this, because obviously in the beginning, it was probably just fun, right? It was just a lark. You're goofing around. You're having well, a good time. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I, I des desperately wanted, uh, you know, attention, approval, like, mm -hmm. uh, to just to be fucking noticed, like, whether it was infamy or fame, I didn't care. Yeah. Like, uh, I, you know, like, I wanted to, to, to exist, you know, and I, I, I really lacked the survival skills to make it in the world. You know, I, I, I couldn't keep a job. I couldn't, you know, go to class. I failed. I got fired. Like, I just, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that was the story of everything I ever tried to do. And uh, so I, I really thought I was going to fail, and I just wanted to get a lot of video footage before I died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I would have, like, a footage to live longer than I did. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. But was there, there's because I think a lot of uh, performers, I think as a comic, maybe I feel this, I don't know if you feel it, but it's fun in the beginning. You're like, hey, man, this is cool, look what I'm doing. And then it becomes a job, right? Then it becomes work. Was there a moment where 
jackass and doing this stuff became it went from being like I'm <clears throat> fun and like wait this is my fucking job it doesn't matter if I'm having fun I just got to do it I just got to perform or were you always sort of uh, career oriented with it yeah I don't know I mean I think I can I can interpret that question but the way that I, I you know my uh I'm thinking when when I hear you say that because it's sad to to, to view it on that <laughs> way. And I don't know that I don't know that I'm saying I don't know how I what really it sounds feel, like. You... But but uh, the, the, this was a distinct sense that I got um, early on. Like I thought I'm gonna fucking die. I'm gonna fail in life. You know, like we're all gonna die and it yeah. sucks. But when I die, I want to have like so much video that can play forever, so I'll be immortal. You know, yeah. like there was this idea of like immortality that came with with uh, with video footage. For that, sure. Like, you know, and I was being like, sort of, uh, you know, I don't know. It was, I I put a lot of importance in that, like yeah. how, of the permanence of video, capturing a moment that can play forever. Sure. You know, when I'm not gonna live forever, and. Uh, so that was how I viewed it. It was almost like a religious, like, uh, it, I, there was like a re religiosity. About, yeah, about you're creating the, an afterworld for yourself. Correct, yeah, an afterlife, a an legacy, afterlife. like an immortality was how I viewed it. But then once, uh, once the show came out on MTV and I moved out to California, like... <laughs> the consensus of what a lot of people were telling me was like, Hey man, you better move quick, dude. Strike while the iron's hot, man, yeah. because this show is going to get canceled. It's going to fucking, you know, come and come and go. And like, you've got the opportunity now you got to move on or you're going to fucking miss out. Yeah. And I remember like being really, uh, a little bit despondent about the, if that, you know, like, I like, uh, like, uh, it hurt to hear that. And it was like, wait a second, huh? You know, like the whole idea of like, shit uh lives forever it's immortal no dude that fucking went out the window and now all of a sudden footage came with an expiry date like once wow. it once it aired not only does it not make you live forever but but once it fucking shows up on tv it expires it goes bad and then you got to replace it with something yeah so so that's when it becomes a job is that is not where it's like wow i've got this whole like library of shit that lives forever it's like no fucking when's the last time i had something come out yeah you know, for fuck. Sure. and so then it, like and this is such is like the, the world of show business and and uh the nature of, uh, of of what we do is that like the spotlight, and then you want to keep this. You know, you gotta like it becomes like a, a function of chasing your tail, and like this immense pressure to like stay. I hate the word relevant yeah. because like I just think that there's a better word for it than relevant. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, that's the word people use. You know, to to stay hot, to yeah, stay in the deal, to stay and, acknowledged. Right. right, and and uh, in one sense, it really upset me. It was it really hurt to hear that, but uh, but I definitely heard it, and I, and and more than that, I listened, and and I fucking hustled, man. Like yeah. so, so uh, in between the end of the TV show and uh, the the you know the first the film, first film, I, I cranked out. Uh, Don't try this home. The Steve O video volume one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because. Even with, even before the show ever came out, there was a standards and practices department. Sure. You know, they uh, they had rules. 
MTV was particularly touchy about fire because they had had like a Beavis and Butthead. There was a lawsuit over a trailer park fire. Oh, really? Because a kid like was because Beavis would click later to go fire, fire, fire. Yeah. yeah. And a kid like burned a trailer down in a Jesus trailer park and, and killed his sister. Oh like, my god! Ba- baby sister died, and they're like, "What the fuck?" And he goes, "Beavis and Butthead said fire, fire." So I was doing that because, of, and, the, and the MTV lost their ass over uh, wrongful death shit because of that. Oh, wow, I didn't know. And that. then on top of that, they had like some fire in their fucking. But they had like the, time and time again. Terrible shit happened because of fire. They had no sense of humor about it. <laughs> and like my specialty was like my my whole motto, your asshole in fire basically. My my whole fucking credo was like if whatever you do, it's cooler if you're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I had all the simultaneous fire. I'm lighting myself on fire, breathing fire, jumping off shit while on fire. Shoot fire your ass, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so when the show first got ordered. Tremaine told me to send in all the videos. I'd been had tons of footage, and he yeah. said we're gonna acquire, we're gonna try and license, you know, and put put away some of what you already have just straight onto the show. That's great, yeah. So send it all in, and I sent it all in, and then I followed up with them. I said, hey, what are you guys gonna use? And he said, oh man, sadly, like not one clip that you sent us. Oh wow, cleared standards and practices. <laughs> like everything you sent us got shot down. We're not allowed to play anything that you sent us. And I and I remember thinking first off, like, man, what kind of a pussy ass show is this gonna be? Yeah. They won't show anything. And then my second thought was, Well fuck it, I'll be a part of it and like they just they just handed me a fucking career in two hopper T V DVDs or, or video Yeah, yeah. So those so, yeah, DVDs so they, they so sold I, well, right? So yeah, whenever I proposed an idea that uh, they were like, no, fuck no, you can't do that. And I'd be like, okay, cool. And then I would do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would yeah, do yeah. it and put it on my DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I lived like, so I had just like, uh, so I put out Steve O Video Volume 1, Steve O Video Volume 2. Uh, After the Steve-O Steve-O Video Volume 3. <laughs> Who was distributing it? Was it also. I had these, uh, I had the fucking Girls Gone Wild commercials going on late at night. Oh, with, that's uh, awesome. And you were order, doing them yourself. Order, like- order now and we'll include a bonus video, <laughs> which is so explicit. Industry professionals have sworn its release will end Steve O's career. Oh, wow. That's great. Steve O, the career ender video. <laughs> and that must have that fucking worked. Yeah, it was great, man. Like, uh, of course, the the shady people that I was in the business with didn't didn't like really want to pay me for it. And, oh, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. But but whatever. I, I'd say I made other people rich on on that whole venture. But at the same time, I set myself apart. And uh, yeah, I had a tour. I had a tour going on right away. I had my own DVD series going on right away. And uh, anytime the Jackass machine shut down, which it did every, you know, there was very. You know, four years in between each movie. Yeah. And oh wow. I, and 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 with like uh, without exception, I spent all of the downtime hustling like a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I was hustling in the wrong direction with drugs and alcohol, I was hustling. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I I read an article recently that said Steve how Steve-O escaped the Jackass curse. You know, I don't know if you've oh, heard yeah. that or anything about the I, Jackass I heard curse. About that, but but um, and it was kind of. I mean, it was a real testament to you that you were able to kind of uh, galvanize all this stuff into uh, a, it's almost like when you're in a band and then you go solo, you know? I guess, but I think it's less it's less that than like the band, uh, you know, stopped legitimately. Most people stop the band by going solo. It's, it's yeah. the, the inverse of that. Yeah. And but so the, the, the group, so you had the, the first movie 
massive hit. They were all ma- number one huge massive hits. Yeah, and and on the heels of that, I, I fucking toured the world. Yeah, on the, after the third one, after the, after the when the first movie came out. After the first movie came out, you toured the world. and you were you with your crew or you kind and of. And then doing... I put out the that was the Steve video volume three. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Uh, a twelve country tour. What and kind one, of stuff did you do in the live show? Is there a it, the theme of it was like uh, just like uh, let me walk you through standards and practices <laughs> and what they won't show. Yeah, yeah. Like they hate fire. Like so, here we go. My head's on fire. <laughs> we're blowing fireballs so off you my were, head. Like, showing videos and then live no, no, content? it was all live stunts on stage. Oh so you, shit, that's awesome. yeah. yeah. They hate bodily fluids. You know, you'd, like they're really touchy <laughs> about blood. So I'm breaking light bulb over my head and I <laughs> slash my tongue with broken glass and paint. <laughs> Paint blood all over myself, you know, like, uh, they hate nudity, so all right, chicks, fucking throw all your bras and panties out, you know, like, let me staple my ball sack to my leg, like. Oh, yeah, and so I, I remember, so first of all. really touch about drugs and alcohol, like, I would promote every live show on that tour. Yeah. Steve-O will, will be drunk and on drugs. Bring your oh money back. <laughs> so there is, that's actually pretty amazing. There's something. <laughs> You're kind of—it's actually really impressive because you're kind of machine. You were doing all this and hustling that while you were drunk oh, yeah. and doing drugs. And oh yeah. By drugs, you were like, eh, whatever's there, I'll do it. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, the one thing I learned when I went to rehab in '95 was don't fuck with crack and heroin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did everything except crack and heroin. Yeah. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. 